Welcome to Big 20, where GMs from all walks of life and experience talk about gaming. Hosts this week are Pedro from World Walkers, Chad from Fear the Boot, and Chad, I got your other thing messed up. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's Morning Sky. Correct. Correct, Morning Sky. Uh, and Nick from NicholasCorey.com. This week, we are talking about incorporating PC subplots. And let's start with some anecdotes or some stories about some silly PC subplots in your game. Anybody want to go first? Real quick, I had one uh, campaign I ran a couple years ago. Uh, so the I'm not going to go into detail about the setting, um, but it's a sci-fi setting set in the future of our solar system. And uh, one of the players was playing like an exile from his his culture. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool at some point to have that obviously come up as something like he has to interact. And he called out specific non-player characters that he made up, you know, in his backstory. So I was like, perfect. That, that'll that work great. Um, and so I laid the seeds for that, like maybe three or four sessions in, uh, where they find someone who has to go back to the place that he's from. And as soon as I as soon as I mentioned that place, uh, he was like, nope. 100% not going there. We're not, I'm not dealing with that. He's like, I didn't, I didn't make a lot of friends and we're not doing that. Like out of character and in character, he was doing this. So I was just like, whoa, like, what do I do now? And then the next maybe four or five sessions were me trying to figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I pull on these threads with him being so like against it early on? Um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> so I had one in my, my current, well, I say current game. I had the last session of a campaign I was running for the past six months yesterday. So I am finally done and I get to be a player again. I'm very excited. I'm not like Pedro where I game master all the time. I, I, I like kind of have a I was going to send my condolences, but it seems like you're happy about it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like I feel a need to, and I, re- I have something I really have to get out and express. And then when that's done, I really want to go back to play. And, and <laughs> I ran two back to back. And now I really must be a player again. Um, But uh, no, we were playing Blades in the Dark. And uh, one of my players, my wife, actually, uh, she's playing, uh, they're all assassins. She's playing what's called a hunter, just kind of like a sniper. Uh, And she, but her background is that she's, she's very politically active. She's a rebel. She's a, she's a journalist kind of on the side, uh, but with, you know, sort of anarchist type newspapers and, and uh, that sort of thing. And there was a, they're, they're like trying to uncover some stuff. And there's a, another reporter, like, like I, did, I had a reporter in there and I didn't even think anything of him. Like, this is just an off the fly. I need a guy. He's a reporter. Fine. Whatever. Boom. I didn't have a name for him. And uh, so he, he's in the middle of this situation and he's like, like the cops are there and he's kind of like, you know, why are you doing this? And you're a dirty cop and blah, blah, blah. And she's, she's like kind of after the same plot thread going through it. And uh, I'm like, so I'm describing this guy. I'm like, okay, he's there and he's all this cop. And I kind of just offhand, like, you know, he, he's really handsome and, and well-dressed and blah, blah, blah. And just kind of do, 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 going through like a totally made up NPC. And she's like, well, handsome, how handsome? Because this guy is already <laughs> like in her wheelhouse, right? Like he's a journalist. He's going after the man. He's standing up for the little guy sort of thing. I'm totally unplanned on my part. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And I pick up a D6, roll it six. I'm like, he's the most attractive man you've ever seen in your life. And she's like, really? And so half the game was pretty much her trying to get with him and him <laughs> not noticing her. 
And there was this whole thing where he had some information. And so she's like, like, she's like, well, I tell you what, I will question my source, you know, telling this to the team. Well, her source is this super hot journalist that she's trying to get. And so she's like, well, well, why don't we meet in a coffee shop downtown and exchange notes? And he's like, oh, yes, we'll go after him. We'll get him. Yes, we'll, we'll get them. <laughs> so it's like from his point of view it's like they're exchanging the imp, the plot information from her point of view it's a date and he just doesn't <laughs> know it yet and one of the other players is like kind of understanding of all of this and so she's a master she's a slide it's called so she dresses up as a barista like disguises herself to the point to where my wife character does not recognize her own partner and she is a barista. She's like serving them and stuff to make sure my wife actually gets the information. And so she's like trying to sabotage the date. And it was this whole session of like trying to get the plot out, trying to have a date, trying to sabotage the date. All it was, it was amazing. It was cool. <laughs> I think for me off the top of my head, uh, in the in the current podcast I'm doing, World Walkers, um, my my wife plays a character named Hopscotch, and she specifically did not want to have a backstory. That was her whole thing. It's like I don't want to back. I don't want to have to keep track of stuff. Um, so she plays uh, Hopscotch is just a folk hero, and that's that's it. There's no explanation for why the lack of backstory has created so many scenarios. Where there's actually way more backstory because, like, her excuse whenever she wants to do something is like, well, I'm, a, I'm a goddamn folk hero. <laughs> and so then we have to come, like, I have to come up with backstory on the fly that kind of fills this vacuum in. And so it'll be like, um, will you meet this guy? And it's like, well, I want a discount. Well, they don't, why would they get a discount? I'm a fucking folk hero. And then we got to make a roll. <laughs> and then I got to come up with a reason why this person is like, like, they met this, like, crazy old, like, oil baron styled shopkeep. And is like, I don't, I want, I want this item. I want a discount. Why? It's like, well, I'm a fucking folk hero. She rolls, come to find out he had stayed at her inn years ago. He's like, is that hopscotch? And then like, <laughs> so like she has Stop. no background, no backstory. And because of that, it's this black hole of backstory. So like, I have to have all these notes now of all the backstory she doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> No backstory is the same as all of the backstory. So like, that's you, it. Yeah. yeah. Have you thought of like punishing her with her own backstory? Like, no. just, <laughs> well, I mean, she's your wife. You gotta, <laughs> no, they'll no. still be there after the game is over. But right. yeah, I mean, that, but that if that was not the case, that was that would be one thing you could do is just say, "Oh, you're hopscotch. I remember you. You're the one who saved that one orphanage." Right. Even though well, you set the orphanage on fire trying to save her and killed 40 kids. Or yeah, the name of our podcast keeps me from doing that. It's World Walkers. <laughs> They're never in the same spot. Like, mm. I can't. Like, I, yeah, like, so. How yeah, could you be but, a folk hero if you're like sliders and jumping? We're going to find. They're finally off world from her, origi- from, uh, her original world. So we'll see <laughs> what happens yep. if I, she pulls I, us off or not. Yeah. I can absolutely in theory, tell no. you what is going to happen. I know what's going to happen. She's going to look right at you and you're going to say, well, okay, this, this guard is guarding the door and he's not letting you through. Well, t- I tell him to open the door for me. 
because I'm a goddamn folk hero. And she is going to look at you with that look where you're going to have to come up with a reason why this guy on Planet X knows who she is. Well, to, luckily, we switched <laughs> away from D&D for this game. Mm-hmm. So that background is where she got it from. And that doesn't that doesn't oh, help. Uh, it's a it's a trait of that background is that you're a folk you're, hero. So you're saying it, this like that's going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> we had this argument. Where she's like, you'd better not fucking kill me. And I was like, (laughs) I won't. (laughs) And we have this understanding. It's more of an argument, I guess. But we do have it. I've made myself clear that no one's safe. Like, (laughs) right. So, no, she she knows. Like, it's not going to go well. Yeah. You keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I I have we've already had. <laughs> we've had it, we've had moments where I've been like like we I put a lot of music in the podcast mm-hmm. so you can tell like when when it gets serious for a second like the music literally stops. <laughs> we have this, I have to make it clear, yeah. But I mean it's all in good fun. So mm-hmm. but yeah, right. the lack of backstory has added way more backstory because it can, that kind of like fluidity can follow her in a way that some of the other ones, like someone has a, a flower shop. Yeah. Well, she doesn't run the flower shop anymore. So rarely do we have a petunia discussion come up, but <laughs> that what we thought would be no complications has added way more on the go. So I, I had a player like that. Uh, it, it, it was Pat from the podcast and he, he had, he didn't really do deep backgrounds. He, he kind of played tropes that he liked and he had a, he had a small list of them. He played them very well. It's kind of like a character actor, you know, it, it, he played mm. them extremely well, but there were only a couple of them. And, uh, one, this game I ran for him, he did not have any kind of background. Like part of the game was you make your character and your character represents an entire aspect of the world. So okay. you define what the world is like. And uh, he, he really didn't. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> which was fine because I yeah. just filled in the blanks for him. But uh, from that was one of the, the really a deep moment in role playing that really strikes me because he, he was this, this evil guy. It was, a, it was an evil campaign where everyone was playing back as is like D&D. And he was like this sort of immortal, you know, mage spellcaster type thing from this this leadership of of spellcasters who were immortal and they had like a cult and their whole thing was that when they died they go into the spirit realm and then the people who are left behind their family would get their cult to say okay if you sacrifice yourself you know we will bring one of the family forward they will take over your body and you will join us in the spiritual realm eventually you'll come back you know a thousand years later which is a complete lie. Their, their spirit is totally annihilated and they take over the body and, and everyone thinks it's great. Um, they're really, really evil. Um, and they're not nice people. Uh, but they were faced with this, this sort of bad guy who was not like mustache twirling evil and he, that you just kill for hit points. It was like questioning his entire way of life. Well, the party had been on these adventures together and they were all bad guys and they were all very violent and evil, but they were in it together. You know, the, the, the sort of <laughs> brothers in arms sort of thing. They had really come together and gelled very well. And uh, that he, again, he had no background, didn't make any, he, he, all that stuff I just talked about, I made for him. And that was about it. And this bad guy 
was kind of like doing this. Well, why don't you join me in my evil? Because we're both evil and screw the other guys. And uh, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. He's like, well, how many, how many friends do you have? Really? How many friends, how many people do you know that in your life? And he just kind of stops. And he, and there were two other players in the group. And he goes, and he looks at both of the players. He goes, two. And it, that, it, it like really struck me because it really set up how close the story of the characters were that they had come together. And it right. really defined this character that he had, he was evil and had no one yet. He found these two people. Now, the reality of it is that he didn't have a fucking background. Yeah. So he didn't have any <laughs> friends or family or anything. Because yeah. that was the actual answer. But it made a really neat answer. <laughs> it was this really poignant moment in a very brutal, evil campaign. So something I wanted to ask is, when you when you all have players make their backgrounds, like what's your approach? Do you like throw them to the uh, the narrative wolves and let them do whatever they want to? Uh, do you try to, do you give them the premise of your game and ask them to tie it all together somewhere in between? Like what is your all, like what is your pr- approach to, to PC backgrounds? Like in the, yeah, their backstories before a game starts or even, what I'm really interested in is do you, do you have a different approach when the game's already going? Hmm. Like, where do you go with that? Well, for me, I really, uh, I give them, I make sure that they're at least kind of aware of the setting to some degree, uh, somewhat familiar with it. And then I basically, I always tell them like, feel free to write as much or as little as you want. But Mm -hmm. usually all I ask for is like name an NPC or come up with one person who's not a player that you have a connection to and why you started adventuring in the first place. Um, Those are pretty much the two things that I require. And then anything beyond that is totally on the part of the player if they want to bring it or not. Mm -hmm. And in the last X amount of years, like I've had, players that go all over the board. Um, I started with groups that only would give me like the name of an NPC. And now I have players in groups that give me pages and pages. And I always tell them like, like I may use some of this. I may not use any of it. I may use a lot of one person's and not a lot of another's. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not a preference thing. It's just how it fits into the plot that we're doing or the narrative that we're doing. Uh, But also part of it too is, like I, I very much, when I start a campaign, I, I pull my players and I ask them like, what sort of campaign do you want to do? Like, here's three or four ideas that I have. And then you guys tell me which one sounds best. And then whichever one gets the most votes or whatever one, whichever one they sound like they're the most into, that's what I go with. So they already have a level of buy-in before we even do our session zero. Um, because they, they know that this is the plot that we picked and this is what we're going to do because we're all somewhat interested in that. So, yeah, that's basically how I do it. I like to have more information available to the players before we even start because I feel like it, it goes a little smoother that way. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's different every time. Yeah. Uh, it I When I run games... Uh, pardon me. <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, when I run games, I, I really try to do something different. I try to run a different kind of game. I try to have different themes. I don't like running the same thing again and again, uh, sure. be it rules or stories or characters or whatever. Um, and even my approach tends to be different each time. Um, but like what I did in, I ran a, this fifth edition game that I ran for a year, uh, a little bit longer than a year, which was previous to this Blades in the Dark one. What I did was uh, 
I said, well, okay, we're all playing fifth edition D&D characters, whatever. And I said, uh, whatever races you don't pick, these do not exist in the world. Oh, interesting. Um, just to kind of change it up a little bit. Uh, and then I later on, I actually inverted that. I, I made that not true. Uh, and made that a major plot point. But um, what what they did was, that, you know, we, we kind of made characters. I said, we are not going to roll up your characters first. Um, you know, you, we kind of have an idea of what we want, but we're not going to roll dice, put pen to paper. We're going to roll up an NPC first. And this NPC is the king of the land. So um, you're going to make it. And I put a character, a single character sheet out in the middle of the table. And uh, I said, Make him like he's a level one character. Go. Hmm. And uh, they made everything. And then I would, as they were making him, I would throw out questions. Like, because at first they thought they were going to, they were fucking with me. Because like, oh, we're just going to make a gnome bard. And that's going to be the king. I'm like, then I started asking questions. How did a gnome bard become king? And I would define things as I did that. How did a gnome bard become king of an all human empire? Now, they didn't know it was a human empire. I did not know it was a human empire. I'm making all this stuff up on the fly. But it, it kind of like make, makes for a pointed question that makes them stop and think. It's like, oh, yeah, ha ha, gnome bard, really funny. Well, wait a minute. How did a gnome bard become king of all these humans? <laughs> well, what are gnomes good at? Well, they're really good at illusions. He's pretending to be human. And I'd sit there and go, how did that happen? And then we, <laughs> we just kept making the character and making the character, making the character that made this sort of world. Hmm. And then it defined the people who was attached to this gnome king. Sure. The characters became in love with the gnome king because it was his, their, he is their character. They made him, and he is central to the story and the plot line. And he's also a lovable character too. They made NPCs that were kind of ancillary to that. And then they, and then I said, you are the children of these NPCs. Mm -hmm. And these NPCs took over a land from an evil lick and cleared out the evil, but they were like super God tier. They're like 20th level, you know, super high level and want to retire. You know, they want to retire and have a kingdom and just run a kingdom. And, but you're their, you're their heirs and you're 19 years old. All right, let's, let's make characters now. And then so we we made characters from that. Uh, and then it, it was really easy because one of the things, one of the consistent things I like to do for backgrounds is you have to be tied to the other players. I don't want strangers. I hate strangers right. uh, because it's a lot of wasted time. It's role play. You walk into a tavern and there's somebody you don't know who looks interesting and you <laughs> have a conversation for no reason with them. Right. And it's like, yeah, the... It, it's great, though. You, when you're already connected, then you go from there. You, you don't waste your time with all that, you know, useless yeah. RPG, which is, which is really odd for me to say that there is such a thing as useless RPG, but there is, at least for me. See, um, that, that backfired for me. I, <laughs> I have previously had that um, suggestion slash rule of, like, you really should tie yourself into the other characters in some way. And what I found out was, so... Um, and one of the games I run, it's like a steam powered, steam powered fantasy game, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a gunslinger who has a different name in every city. He has a big reputation, <laughs> uh, and cool. they're all stupid names like Tripod and Big Juice. Um, <laughs> but so one of the players when his um, flex press, yeah, I mean like when his character died and. Um, 
he made a new character. He's like, I'm going to play someone who is tied to this character, to Big Juice. This is going to be awesome. Big Juice. Problem is, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of dumb names. Um, <laughs> no, they're fantastic names. They are. They're fantastic. They're for the wrong. Yeah, he's... <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he makes time in every city, is his idea. And <laughs> so the idea is that he tied his character to this person. Now, without going too much into all the backstory um, on that world, there are gunslingers and gunslingers live by a code and so breaking like the dark the code, tower. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. much influenced by that. And if you break the rules, the gunslingers come and find you, you're considered broken and they will execute you. Mm-hmm. And so when he, he had to decide whether he was going to execute someone who uh, broke the rules and he wouldn't do it. So he's like, I know that, my time is limited. I know that the gunslingers are going to come to me. I'm going to go to my master and turn myself in. And the other player is like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I'm going to go turn myself in. He's like, cool. Um, fuck. Um, and he, obviously you can do whatever you want. Any character right. can always do whatever they want to, but he felt like to stay true to his character, he had to leave with big juice. Mm-hmm. Oh, the halfling gunslinger. Yeah. Um, because he's like, well, I, this is my idol. I'm going to go with them. I got to stick with them. That's my whole point. And so when, when this player and the storyline was cool, he was like, I'm not like, basically if anyone is found in possession of a, a, a firearm that's taken from a gunslinger, they have to be executed immediately. Huh. And they had found out that a tra- uh, traveling companion of theirs had secretly been holding onto a firearm. He won in a game of chance. Oh, and he wouldn't do it. And it's an NPC that's come. It's been in multiple games that we've run. Sure. So he's like, I, God, this guy's iconic. I can't do it. Because of that, he left. He's like, I gotta, I gotta send my character off. I, I'm gonna, yeah. I'll make a new character. And then the other players at the table, and he literally just looks and goes, "Fuck." <laughs> so, I mean, this was stupid. And <laughs> since then, we have rethought whether or not people should tie themselves to each other or to the plot (laughs) because now they tie themselves to the plot and can have intermingles, but you know, that's the idea is yeah, (laughs) we've been rethinking it. Sure. But um, yeah, it looks like there's a question in the chat. It's uh, gaming with gauge says, how do you keep uh, PC subplots from derailing the game? Oh, great question. I oh, don't that, apparently everything one. fucks me up. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, um, but that's yeah, an easy it, one with, with gauge. I mean, you just don't play savage worlds. It's, it's simple. As that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just starting savage world. So I have played it before, but yeah. yeah. So what do you what do you mean by that? Well, he's a he's a podcaster and he loves yeah. his Savage Worlds. I love giving <laughs> crap about it, but no, Savage Worlds is cool. Gage yeah. is an awesome guy. Um, my thing: How do you keep PC subplots from derailing your game? You don't. They're your PCs. Their stuff is going to be way more interesting than your stuff. The only way it derails it is if it steals spotlight from the other PCs. If it is sucking the air out of the room, then that's, that's the derailment. Um, if people are getting bored with this one person's plot, that's the bad thing. Your plot, your, the game master, your plot is on plot time. It's not on an actual timer. So you just freeze time and go with them to have fun. There's always going to be limits to that. I mean, you know, are you going to just faff about and never actually do anything ever for the next six months? Sure. But that really does get back into 
is everybody having, I mean, everybody having fun with this, then how is it a derailment? See, I, I think uh, I, I, I have a, a player who would challenge you on that without meaning to. <laughs> there <is> some pl- <laughs> I have some players in the past anyway. I don't, I don't have them anymore, but I have some players who like when they get the spotlight, they will just they will soar yeah. a bit. Like I think that's and, that's true for nine. I mean, yeah, we're crossing the border between like problem player versus yeah, and that's it, not. So I'm not saying yeah. it's yeah. But I, I have had players who they they'll make everything about them, and then they they'll they'll take the storm and like look at the end of the day we're not going to be able to deal with this kingdom they're going to do what they're going to do yeah we got to find my dad right I mean and, but everybody else signed up for the kingdom and no one right. cares yeah. if you're an orphan like I, right <laughs> yeah but that's more of a problem player than it's an exception yeah. to the rule but <laughs> yeah well and. Also, I mean, at, since you're the game master, you know, you, you de- it's your job to deliver the world. And, you know, it, if there is too much time spent on a subplot of a player's, and again, that, that, that really does not gel with my thinking on how games run, because the, it's not the player's subplot, it's our subplot. My plot is our sub, the group's story we're telling the story together mm-hmm. um and i'm not i'm not the writer i'm i'm not the writer who's balancing the the the, the different plot threads to make a well-constructed story here i am along for the journey i'm here to deliver the world i'm here to keep things rolling and going i get that there can be dozens of different things like if one character or player is getting too much focus there's all different kind of problems along that road mm-hmm. but so, you have to read the room i guess yeah what do you what do you think that uh like how do you <clears throat> excuse me how do you prevent a one player subplot from derailing uh well so i tend to lead or i tend to run more narratively structured games like from the outset and that's just because yeah. the players that i play with most of the time that's what they prefer um like i have posited usually when i give them three or four different campaign pitches. Half of them are, you know, more player driven and half of them are more GM driven and they always go for the GM driven stuff. Um, So how do I, like the one thing that I kind of keep as far as reminding uh, players, like not to derail the game is that uh, the GM is kind of in charge of the length of scenes and the GM Mm -hmm. can really determine when a scene starts and when one stops and what the context of the start and stop are. And that's something that I've really kind of been trying to develop a little bit better in my more recent campaigns is like, okay, this, like, this seems like a great stopping point for this scene. So even though like he might've just asked this other person a question and we're currently waiting for an answer, so to speak, I'll just be like, all right, now we're going to cut to the next scene. You know, now we're going to move on from here. Um, And reminding myself that, that I have the ability to do that it's yeah. a good way to prevent PC subplots from derailing. It's, from it's the rule that I use. I call it the San Dimas rule. It's based off Bill and Ted. The mm-hmm. The clock in San Dimas is always running. Mm-hmm. I I let the story kind of go where it needs to, but it's that spinning plate idea that uh, some game designers have talked about where like things are still happening. It's, it's right. as much a living world as possible. So like mm-hmm. typically the players will sometimes get di- distracted and then I'll introduce like a consequence from not moving forward. Right. The group tends to figure out like, oh, they're starting the executions. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that you can do other than, uh, you know, having the world react 
to the to create the plot to move forward here is have the players self-regulate. Uh, when a player subplot happens, don't have it happen in a vacuum with just the one player. Mm-hmm. Involve right. the yeah. other players. Even if they're not involved, the group, are, I mean, the, these characters are ostensibly supposed to be friends or comrades or allies or temporary truce, or they have a connection. And so that means they have an opinion. And the role play happens when all these different opinions and views collide, either positively or negatively. So what you have one player with one subplot talking to their long-lost mother, whatever, any way you can, get some other players, get their characters involved in that as soon as possible. I guarantee you this will self-regulate. Because, yeah. I was just gonna say, I think a good way to do that um, and something that I try to do on occasion is have one player's subplot be introduced and affect only other players to start with. So like if one player has like a a villain or something or a nemesis, um, maybe that character, that NPC has heard that their nemesis is traveling with these other people. And -hmm. so they find a place when they can get at those other people away from... The, the player character that's directly connected to them. And then oh, that, that creates a level of tension, you know, between those characters who aren't even connected to that N- NPC. And now suddenly there's a connection there and then they have a reason to then confront the other PC about it. And it just that, introduces new layers. That is a phenomenal way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that, that exact thing happen. I had a player or character, I mean, whose subplot was he thought his mother was dead. She was not dead. Mm-hmm. A different character encountered the mother had a intense RP scene with them, convinced the mother to go. And we had months of in-game time and that PC never revealed it (laughs) until this PC, the mother came back and this PC was like, there was something I need to tell you. (laughs) And oh my God, that was great. Wow. That was some great role play because this, there's something I have to tell you. I met, your mother three months ago and didn't tell you was said in front of everyone. And Oh my God, you better <laughs> believe everybody had a damn opinion about that. Right. And that's a subplot that had mm-hmm. literally nothing to do with my meager plot. And it great. It just drove everything. It was neat. It was really cool. See, I had, a, I had a character who come in with his own subplot. His subplot was that he was struggling with the relationship with his mother. And the reason is that his mother died and threw her soul into his body. And so half the time his character was very timid and half the time his character was like evil and twisted and would do terrible things. And I just want to make sure that there's, there, there might be a chance that some of you are listening to this going like, Whoa, how it's fucking terrible. We hated that story. It (laughs) totally soaked up every scene because like he would do terrible, evil things and be like, Hey, sorry, it's his mom. Now I'm playing her. Oh my God. He would derail so many stories and it wasn't like, it didn't feel like we were ever exploring his story. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a coin toss, whether he was like Harvey Dent or fucking two face. Right. And those things are like really big problematic things where it's like, look, I understand what you're doing, but if you keep taking that, like sometimes that's what's, like hard is that sometimes you just have to tell people like, I don't know if everyone's having the same level of fun as you're having. Right. Right. And it's no fun to be confrontational sometimes, but sometimes you have to just for other people, like the other people at your table don't want to be the GM for a reason. This this absolutely (laughs) 
you know, gets back to th this is one of those examples where that subplot, that's an in that character's too intense, great character, too intense. That sucks the air out of the room. I could see because I had an NPC like that in this D&D campaign where she was a, a fifth edition warlock, hot, super high level deal with the devil, devil possessed her. And they kind of had a detente in the body that was kind of driving them both insane. And I had, I role played her for a couple of sessions and then I had to make the decision to, okay, she's just going to exit now because mm -hmm. it's too intense. Mm -hmm. And when she shows up, it's not about them or the story. It's about her. And, yeah, and the and the players and the PCs trying to wrap their heads around her. So yeah. and that's what was hard about this is that like the maybe on paper the story sounds interesting, but nobody wanted to play with the little kid who was right. timid and terrible, and nobody wanted to play with his mom. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. hey guys, Van City uh, Dustin wants to know uh, how do you maintain balance between PC subplots? Now I'm going to add a little bit to it, uh, assuming that they're not already connected. It, it, what if they're conflicting subplots? Mm. Um, Touch on would... one a session and don't go yep. more than that. I think that's yeah. a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Treat it oh. like a television show with a B-plot and every television show has a different B-plot and even though mm -hmm. the B-plots may string from one episode to another, you still this episode where the B plot is this and the next episode, it's the next one. So I think it helps too, to like I, I, one of the best like things I think any GM can do is to constantly read the room because oh, if yeah. a subplot hits and people like it. Oh, and then kind <laughs> of feed that in a little bit more. But sometimes yeah. if like it's not hitting, it's okay to like, you're saying like shelve it for a minute, figure yeah. another angle out and something like sometimes like the best answer is sometimes just improving it and yeah. like I feel like you'd never be afraid to take notes in the middle of something. Oh, yeah. Like someone's talking and is the moment somebody like a, a player starts talking, you're like, cool, thank you so much. <laughs> oh my god, and they like the guard. I, the guard doesn't even have a fucking like <laughs> like writing down the notes as you go. Yeah. That way you can respond real fast because you might not have the answer ahead of time. But if you watch it, and everyone's like, oh cool, that guy used to be a farmer, and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> is now Barry Fields. That's I love from <laughs> Fantasy Eleven. I guess that's where we're going with this. Like, <laughs> I think part of this is actually not really actually GM advice. It's player advice. As pl not characters. Characters have to be consistent, and pl characters have to have defined goals and and do all this stuff. Players need to understand that the game has to go forward and that there there should be conflict between the players that makes for great role playing, but there cannot be eternal conflict. You know, you a player has to give in. If if a player A wants to go left and player B wants to go right and there is an argument about it in character, that's great. That's called role play. If there is this argument about that for Three solid sessions, that's no longer role play. That's just wank. Yeah. And one or the other has to change their character. They actually have to seed the fight mm -hmm. and because there's never going to be any winner. And yeah. that's a player thing. The, the game master could come in and say, okay, player B, I get it, but you're going left. 
You know, and that's, that's yeah, that's stupid. It's, that's bad. It's very hard when when players have just happened to have not made characters, but just like player avatars. Oh yeah, right. We had that yeah. in uh, one of the podcasts I do, where like the argument was so intense and it took so long and got so nowhere that I actually cut out literally like an hour, maybe hour and twenty from that episode. We mm-hmm. lost it. It'll never be heard. It's it's gross and violent because they. They weren't playing their characters. Right, they, right. they actually all kind of were running avatars uh, of themselves. And sometimes like knowing that difference, like as the GM, knowing when people are playing their characters and when they're like, I just wish you wouldn't drink at the table. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, crap. We're doing an intervention? I don't have rules for that. <laughs> but no, like. Yeah, it's and I think that like that ghost idea, like if your table tends to not play characters but kind of yeah. play more themselves, which is awesome and totally legit, mm-hmm. then it lets you know when you sh- it, maybe you should step in faster because when those arguments yeah. are happening, they might not be uh, amazingly uh, deep. And like you say, you have to read the room. <laughs> yeah. You have to read yeah. the room in oh, sort totally. of a long play too. If you have an entire room of like you said, not characters but avatars then that means as a game master, you can't throw the hardball stuff at them mm-hmm. because you know, that, that they're going to be, if they're dealing with like dark stuff as people in your game, then, you know, maybe that causes tension. And now we're talking about tension between people, not tension right. in fantasy land here. Yeah. Uh, and my, I had a group where there was only, there were like a couple of people who ran avatars and everybody else ran characters. And yeah. <laughs> that's, that's tense. That's hard because they want a meaty role-playing game and you give them that meat and then they start tearing into it and everybody's getting into it. So I got my characters who are really intense. And I got my, my avatar people who are really intense. And then I kind of like, it keeps going. And then I'm like, wait, is your character angry or are you angry? Because mm. now we're yelling. Yeah. And yeah. And if, if it's your character that's angry, just a little bit. <laughs> well, <and> I think <laughs> yeah. uh, if I can, I'll throw myself under the bus on this, something that um, I try to make sure. I don't know if anyone else has ever done this. I have done it in the past. Sometimes um, you, I have done this like in the past where uh, sometimes role playing starts going and there's like a little piece of me that in the past was like, cool, let's, let's, less less of my prep I've got to burn and like <laughs> you just kind of sit back and let them go and then they start going too far because like oh cool this is role play and I might not have to use this encounter tonight and then <laughs> if you're not if you can't take advantage of the role play because no matter how good anyone is eventually that tank will start to run out and you don't right. want players to run on fumes because they'll keep I mean they're awesome mm-hmm. they're going to keep thinking of ways to uh, keep it meaty and yeah. then eventually sure. they might hit a nerve. Like, <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's no fun to admit that out loud. And I don't do it anymore, <laughs> but I have totally done that in the past where, like, I was yeah. like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one Pre, of my pre-podcast groups, time I did that. <laughs> sure, yeah. One of the groups that I run regularly for, well, regularly, it's every couple months. It's my real-life friends that I grew up with that we've since moved away. And every few months we get back together and play. They're very much in the avatar group. They just they just play a character like they don't they don't role play too much, um, and that's something that like they don't they don't tabletop role play away from me. Like when they're off doing their own thing right. in the months that we're apart, they just 
play whatever video games and stuff. But I, I do tabletop role playing all the time. Like I do it online a bunch. I do it with my daughter. And so then I've kind of, um, <laughs> I kind of, uh, I don't want to say I grew past that, but I adopted a different style of play that I preferred. And after our first like mini campaign, when we were first trying D and D fifth edition, um, and I saw how they were interacting with the game, uh, I eventually went like, "Okay, guys, like I want to keep running this because I love playing with you guys, mm-hmm. and I wanna I want to do a full campaign, but I I need you guys to interact with the world in some way that isn't just swinging <laughs> your swords. Like I need I need that, and that's something I had to remind them is that like like I know I I accepted the mantle or I I came to you guys saying I want to run a game for you because I want to present you guys with a campaign that's going to be fun for you but at a certain point I have to go you know it has to be fun for me too because if I'm just sitting here going like all right we'll do combat again like ooh, <laughs> you know that's not great and then I kind of wish that we would just play a board game or something but I don't know if you saw it like uh that is uh the the um the mantle of the dm in fifth edition they specifically said the game's not about whether the gm has fun it's about whether the players have fun and the gm is there to allow them to have x amount of fun the gm cannot add to the amount of fun that a player or players can have they can only cap the amount of fun that is allowed at the table that's mike merrill's i have opinions yeah, yeah that you know i okay uh he has opinions he's wrong. So, you know. <laughs> when you told that story, I was like, oh, no. Well, and Nick is anti-Merrill's doesn't know. <laughs> I, will always, I will always say that the player's fun is more important than my Yes, fun. yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I yeah. Also think, but I also think that um, I can't give them a fun game unless I, too, am also invested in it. Yes, yeah, And yeah, part yeah, of yeah. being invested in right. it is getting the things from an RPG that I want to get from an RPG. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, every so, so often... You're saying the DM matters. Again, I just... I'm flipping to the book right now, and I just don't know if I'm going to find that in the writing. There's like, a whole there's a whole book devoted to the DM. Of course, they matter. Like you know, it's a mean? guide on how to run their game. You're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> their their money matters. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they they focus on the campaign guides so that you can yeah. you know that anyone could run it. It doesn't need to be Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, it's just I'm not bitter. I guess I'm trying to say. It. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is a weird, it's a weird stance to take, like on an, like for their official product. Like it's weird yeah. to go that hard because I do think that everybody's enjoyment, like there, well, there is value in yeah. everybody's enjoyment. Well, without going too far, I don't want to get into too much of the brand and stuff like that, but like <laughs> sure. they did say, like they said that like when they moved from fourth to fifth, they knew that their answers to save the brand, to save the game were um, hook into the streaming audience and sure. give the game back to the players. Well, those were the two I, guiding. I can't, I can't argue no, with those I mean, points. Those no. are good points. I think they went too, too far on the "I don't matter" and maybe I should be, a, uh, you know. But well, then again, but they also say, like right away in the player's handbook, that everything in those books are guidelines, and you are free to use and, that and is adapt. Their cop out. I hate I, <laughs> because I feel like that's like that's the same but thing as important. like me telling my daughter, "Hey, if you want to do it." I don't, I mean, I think that you're, you know what, go ahead and mark up your Barbies. <laughs> like, because it's one of those like, yeah. hey, it's it's a Pontius Pilate shit where it's like you're wiping your hands. Like, there's other games who do it so much better. They explain yeah, like, sure. yes, here we've got the DMs back when it comes to here, and here's what we advise you to do. Whereas like D and D fifth edition, especially, has that one rule of like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you, and then 
you've got to constantly defend yourself against players who are like, it says here in the book. And it's like, well, remember, remember page three and nowhere else. <laughs> it said that I can do what I want. If you let me see, like, I luck out because I can always just go, especially in my real life players. Yeah. I can be like, you know what? You guys run the game. I will happily play in your game. If you want to have heat metal see, work that I way. don't have that buff. I hate playing. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like, fine. Why don't, why don't I play then? Sure. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah (laughs) it really surprises me though that they have that kind of language in the books in this day and age when we have all this narrative role-playing game stuff you know it's like we have all this you know cooperative world building and Mm -hmm. but we're taking one person and we're saying you know no, it's about them world building it's about that's what they they made sure to put in the book that way yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's only on Twitter that you find the hot takes. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but I I digress. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so something else like um, how much of do you do you ever worry about taking too much of a player's uh, subplot or backstory? Have you ever, or maybe this is a better way to answer it because you can answer can be like, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> Has Next there question. been an instance where you, you went too far in and you were like, oh, no. Like, what's a mistake that you might have made that would be a good uh, piece of advice through throwing yourself under the bus like I did earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I think I go the opposite direction because uh, I I improbably... Never mistake. <laughs> no, no. It's I, my curse. I don't take enough, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, because I, I improv a lot. And so when players give me stuff, I farm ideas. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I rip them off wholesale uh, and then incorporate all that into my game. But then conversely, I ignore a lot yeah. of what they have uh, because I don't care. <laughs> it's their character. It's not my character. And I tell my players that all the time. When they look at me, it's like, oh, uh, should I roll this or can I do this? I'm like, I don't care. But you do. It's your character. It's not my character. Sure. I mean, I'm not quite an asshole like that all no, the no, time. Saying, but yeah, but yeah it, it, that's my attitude on it. it is like, oh, did, did my character have five arrows? I'm like, I don't know. He had a hundred. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. They, uh, what did you I do, do that for everything but bullets. <laughs> I, I, I especially do. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I track their weight. We do encumbrance on bullets. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> we do for Pathfinder because it's so simple. But, I played a video game called Stalker where they weighted everything, including bullets. Individual bullets had a weight, and you would slow down to where you could barely move, and a monster's coming at you, and you'd be like, oh, hey, I can run now. I fired five rounds off. See, isn't that just called Death Stranding? I mean, maybe. I could take everything you hate about encumbrance and get rid of the rest. Yeah. It has it has been my my one of my like bucket list things for role playing to run a game set in the roadside picnic slash stalker mm. universe. I love, I love those her. games. I've read roadside the books. Picnics I've played so the games. Good. I've watched the movie. Yeah, yeah, the movie's them. great. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But every time I pitch it to my players, they're like, "That sounds a little too like hardcore gritty." Realism I know. Do you live in St. Louis? Because I'm oh. totally down. <laughs> no, I live in Minnesota. <laughs> oh, too cold. <laughs> Have to do it online. I know, right? I'm like <laughs> rubbing my feet together right now. So we need to change places. That my my players want me to run like a really gritty. I have of the different worlds I run. One of them is just like this really gritty survival hellscape, and they're mm. like, "When are you going to run that?" I'm like, 
No, 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 no. <laughs> You'll hate me. It's not. It sounds cool. It's like jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> it's, it's all good till the pilots, like till they're shouting at you, like, if you don't go down, we're going to have to shove you. Like, you paid 3000 Like, <laughs> it sounds cool. I know, so, man. Eric and I are in a uh, in a post-apocalyptic, post-nuke game, and it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty good, and it's brutal. You know, Skies of Glass, it is. Mm. It's one of those games where there's combat in it, and it's a rules-light system, and the combat is so brutal. It's like, okay, there's our buddy. The bad guys are going to kill him, and they're going to eat him. We have to stop him. It's like, if I get shot, my character will be so maimed as to be nearly unplayable. I mm. think we're going to leave him. Right. Uh, but it, that sounds brutal. It is. But actually, it makes it to where combat... In real life, nobody picks up a broadsword and charges an orc. You know, that's stupid. And I haven't found an orc yet. So yeah, yeah, orcs don't exist, but if they <laughs> did, that would be pretty dumb. And you have to have, like, reasons and motivations to You gotta get all that weight off with your, with your bullets. Like, right, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't right? have time to, like, broadsword. Bullets in I, the I gotta air dump some shells. Yeah. yeah, but it, that's the neat thing about it, about the game, is that because the combat is both light, rules light, and absolutely brutal, you have to think about those motivations of why am I risking myself and my friends with violence? Hmm. Why am I doing that? Yeah. Is it, what is this, the cost-benefit analysis of that? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows what they're getting into when they step into a game like that, too. Like, it's yeah. not like... You know, like well, I worked really a long time on my backstory. I can't lose this character. Like right. everyone signed up <laughs> yeah. for yeah. this. So then I don't play Eric had a character I, that lasted two games. So I've never played a game like that. Where does this conversation about backstory fit into something like that? Do players tend to make big giant backstories? Do you take those into account? Do you add in their subplots when all of this crazy stuff is going on? Like I don't I don't actually know. Eric made an excellent character all right then this does actually tie into the whole backstory thing eric made an excellent character uh he he was it was a neat character it was deep it was very much entwined with the story it was entwined with various npcs it was entwined with aspects of the story that we had only tangentially touched on so there was there was like a real good fresh sort of take to it Game one, we were like, you know, developing our relationship with him. We were, you know, establishing him in the party, you know, doing all that stuff where you get with a new character into an established party. And then game two, halfway through the game, his character found legitimate, not legitimate, but plot reasons, motivations to end his life. I mean, it's horrible. Suicide should never be reasonable. And it, it wasn't. But And yet Eric. Yet Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and he did it. And it and was, Eric. I do not consider that taking backstory and subplot, mm-hmm. which he had subplots, right. and all of that, and throwing it away. Yeah. It was just an ultimate expression of that. Tragic and horrible that it, it, it was. Well, and the awkward but part that... was the table was so excited. They all cheered. And that's, that's also different because that's two that's whole like games a, with this asshole. <laughs> but that's like a narrative, like a satisfactory narrative yeah. resolution yeah. to that backstory. It's not mm-hmm. like roll initiative, first hit, crit on Eric. Oh, now he's dead. Sorry, right. roll up a new character. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's that to me is the end of his arc. Yeah. Not like yeah. suddenly we have to come up with an end to his arc because he ended. 
you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I was going to throw out a story out real quick too, because it goes with the backstory thing. Um, I feel like we had something of a pseudo opposite, um, where we had a story where, um, this, the backstory was basically there's a dungeon and it, it lands on a world and it attracts adventurers for the sole purpose of getting enough like death in it mm-hmm. to rip the world in half and jump to the next one, right? As a whole thing with it. But the, <laughs> sense, the idea dungeon. is that, yeah, it is actually literally a living cool. dungeon. Cool. And so it, 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 in, in, it embeds itself into this world. The players get together and one person's backstory is, this is my family heirloom weapon because Dragon Magazine had level up your weapon as an issue. And there's super fun rules, and he was like, I'll never lose this weapon. So <laughs> the rule is that the the creatures that are trapped inside the dungeon can never help. They're, oh. they're bound. They can never. So they get to this one level. They fight a uh, a, a tiger, and the whole area is uh, – because it's, like, dimensional. So, like, they're fighting in the plains. It's it's using the, the tall grass to co- move and stuff like that. Um when the fight ends, right before it ends, he disarms and takes the weapon from that character. The fight ends and he says, I want my weapon back. And, and the were tiger has to tell him, like, <laughs> I cannot help you. I'll never be able to. This is if you want, you have to re-challenge me. And then that'll seal the dungeon level off. Oh. And that player was their best character in the game. Like <laughs> power wise. Yeah. He gave so much to the group decided to walk out and end his life in a gelatinous cube nearby because his backstory was that important. And sure, kudos to sticking to to your guns, but the group was really... I used to do these things called summer campaigns. The group can play as many times during the summer when they're back from college, Mm -hmm. and if they don't finish in time, that's the end of the game. Oh, sure. So they were like, you can't stick to your backstory this time. And he was like... Um, yeah, so that was a time the backstory got in the way. Yeah, it was bad. Well, they couldn't. Like, so yeah, backstories are fun. Yeah, that's that's my takeaway. (laughs) So, final question of the night is an uh, AMA question: What's your favorite gamer food at the table? Hmm. Anything I make, because I'm a (laughs) damn good cook. (laughs) I I can't eat the table, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. My my group is fond of Oreo thins um, because they don't get anything on your fingers and they're they're surprisingly delight. Like you're like it's less Oreo. Why would it be good? But they're they're great. If we're asking what the group likes, our running joke is uh, somebody was making fun of Snapple one game and they're like, "Oh, dude, that's bitch juice." And now, <laughs> and then there was a person next to him that was like, "Are you?" I'm fucking attacked. And it's like, oh shit, you're drinking Snapple. Like, so that's probably our unofficial drink of the table, at least, is bitch sure. juice. I have, a tra- I have a tradition with one of my players where we, at the beginning of the game, before we even start, we make coffee and we make coffee, coffee and bourbon. So <laughs> we've already gone through an entire bottle of bourbon and we just put like a bit of it in coffee. But yeah. That's uh, that's what I like. That's <laughs> one way to do it. All right, so we're uh, just about finished with this episode. Do any of you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap? Backstories are super fun. Players will come up with wildly creative things, and even if there doesn't seem like there's a lot of meat on the bone, if you just spice it a little bit, you'll find players who the first time they join 
they don't really do much. And then the second time, third time they join, they're like, oh, I can't wait to share my backstory with you. And you're like, yeah. what? If you just give them a little, they'll add a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't take everything. Uh, I've just found players just give too much. And there, <laughs> there comes a point where you're trying to run a game. They've got to manage something other than just arranging how many arrows or bullets or how much bullets weigh. They need to kind of handle their own crap sometimes. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid as a game master, don't be afraid to just not use something. And if a player whines about it, either you've made a mistake and it was too important or they drink the bitch juice Snapple. And it's no, problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, don't feel bitch obligated. Oh. Well, yeah, well, bitch juice, of course. <laughs> I mean, I figured that well without saying, but um, no, don't feel obligated to use any certain amount of backstory because you're going to get players who give you different amounts of backstory per, you know, per, even per character mm-hmm. from one character to the next. Um, and especially if you're going into it, especially if you're going into it with like a, a pre-published campaign or something, or even if like they decided on, this is the narrative we want to tell um, that should be your priority and just ensure that the players are still having fun with it and then sprinkle in the backstories when you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, tell everybody where they can find you. We'll start with Nick and then Chad and then Pedro. Um, the easiest way to uh, keep up with me is to go to my website, nicholascorey.com. It has my blog. It has the other podcasts that I'm on, uh, including Mythos Busters, the Arkham Horror Podcast. Uh, and then also follow me on Twitter, at Nicholas Corey. Uh, I am a host on feartheboot.com. I also have a website called morningsky.com. That's S-K-Y-E. Uh, and that has a couple of my role-playing games I've published. And uh, that's about it. I don't do social media, so you can't really follow me. <laughs> and uh i'm pedro the gm and creator of the world walkers universe where i do uh several different podcasts world walkers world walkers cog and world walkers the other ones uh each one's pretty different but they all feature players as ridiculous as their characters december 4th um world walkers and world walkers cog launch new seasons at the same time so uh if you're interested do that follow me world walkers pod uh at the appropriate social channels and that's about it. All right. Well, thank you, Pedro. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Nick, for hosting this episode. Uh, thank you, Angry Cheese Toast, for the lead-in question. Uh, so Van City, angry. So angry. easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Van City Dustin, thank you for the, the question. And then Young One Two, thank you for the AMA question. Uh, Gage, again, a little bit of Savage Worlds this time, but just the tip. Um, <laughs> so, And thank you, everybody, for watching. And... Uh, we will see you again next week. Watch the final credits to find out who the, the hosts will be next week. Ooh, I got to right. find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Me? All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>